Welcome to Movable Dough, the podcast where I interview and promote living composers. Join me as I talk with composers about their current projects, their past successes and setbacks, and their personal journeys. For more information about this podcast, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Movable Dough. Today, I will be speaking with Sondra Choi. Sondra is a Filipino composer currently based in Los Angeles, California. He holds degrees from De La Salle University in Manila, Berkeley College of Music, and the USC Thornton School of Music. His works have been performed and commissioned by choirs throughout the world, including the Philippine Madrigal Singers, the LA Master Chorale Chamber Singers, the World Youth Chorus, and the Andrea Veneracion International Choral Festival, among many others. In 2014, he won first prize in the American Prize for the Choral Composition Competition. And in 2017, he won the Indianapolis Symphonic Choir Carol Commission. He particularly enjoys focusing his works on issues of social justice. Sondra Choi, welcome to Movable Dough. It is a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for having me, Steve. You are um, it's, so welcome. It's a Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and to be able to share my choral community. At this point, we had just a slight glitch in our audio. Sonder talked about living in Los Angeles, where he had attended USC, and before that, he had been in Boston, and we will pick up the conversation at that point. That was my first home outside of the, outside of the Philippines, outside of Manila. Um, and I really, really enjoyed my time there. I love Boston. That's awesome. How, how old were you? Were you in your early 20s when you made that move? I was in my early 20s. I was about 23 when I moved there. Um, I moved there in 2012. Um, yeah, I was about 23, 24 when I moved there. So when you were growing up in the Philippines, what sort of musical influences did you have there? Um, of course, pop music is a big thing and musical theater is a big thing um, because of people like Leia Salonga, Filipino artists who have sung in Disney, who have sung in Broadway. Um, but the Philippines is actually also one of the countries in Asia that has a really, really rich choral um, culture, like a choral community. We have excellent choirs that compete all over the world, always taking prizes home. Choirs like the Philippine Madrigal Singers and the University of Santo Tomas Singers, the UST Singers, or the, the Ateneo Chamber Singers, for example, um, join countless competitions. They always win. And so listening to that type of choral music is something that I did also growing up. I really loved it. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I got the opportunity to audition for the Philippine Madrigal Singers. Um, and I sang with them and was one of their resident composers and arrangers for about five years. Wow, that's awesome. Did you grow up musical? Were you playing instruments or singing from an early age? Yeah, I mean, I started uh, singing when I was seven. I, uh, my, my parents, you know, it was, I still remember the story. I still remember the first song I ever sang was um, Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas. <laughs> Uh, I remember that it was um, 
a, a song that my brother needed to learn for his class. And, you know, he was practicing at home and I just took to singing it and I started singing it. Um, my parents uh, were delighted that I was singing. Um, and it just so happens that my cousins at that time were also in, enrolled in um, voice and piano classes. And so my mom's sister suggested that I be enrolled in a music, uh, like private lessons. And so I started private lessons as a singer when I was seven. Um, and then growing up, you know, I, maybe when my voice broke, uh, that's when I started learning theory and composition and piano. So did you, so you didn't always see yourself as a composer. Did that, is, is that about the point where you started saying, oh, composition something I could do? Yeah, I always had an interest in writing songs. Um, I remember writing songs when I was in fifth and sixth. Uh, and I started learning, I think it was like a silent night that soared to the heavens. That my, my piano teacher at that time was, uh, was you know, this is really high. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever have anyone perform it? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank God, no. Um, I would probably have to transpose it first. Uh, but then I was very active in singing in school as well as part of the school glee club. Um, I was part of a couple of choirs outside school as well. Um, when I was part of the, the my high school glee club, I eventually became the pianist and sort of the student conductor, assistant conductor. And I started arranging for that choir. I started arranging like pop songs and musical theater songs and adapting them to the choir format during that time and that's when I really started enjoy uh, th that's when I started really enjoying writing for the voice and writing for choruses is during that time. That's awesome. So are all of your degrees in composition? No. So the thing with the, the thing with the Philippines is culturally you know I'm Filipino Chinese um, and it's still not culturally accepted for uh, people to really make a good living out of the arts back home. Um, there's just not as many opportunities on a small scale level. Like you have to, of course, there are professional opportunities in like TV and film, but you have to be like really seasoned and really big in order to get there. Sure. But the pathway there is, is, is a lot harder. Choirs, um, there are, choirs that provide stipends, but we don't really have that opportunity. You know, accompanists are often not really paid that much. Um, singers are not paid that much. So my parents really didn't want me to do that. Uh, when I wanted to pursue composition, um, we, I didn't have any role model in my family in terms of a professional career in music. So my parents wanted me to take up something else. And so in, at De La Salle University, I actually initially enrolled as a communications major um, with a double degree in business management because my parents' expectation that time was for me to end up in our family business, which is uh, a, a company that imports and distributes food in the Philippines. So... Okay. That was my first degree. Do you, but when do you I, use any of that, any of those skills now? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, in communication arts, in my degree, I learned how to really edit videos, to edit audio a little bit. I learned how to, um, sort of an intro to publishing because it's all like media arts, right? right? So an intro to publishing. So that really helped me when I, when I lay out my scores and design and nowadays mid pandemic, um, Apart from being a, a music director at a church, I actually have to now then go into that video editing, um, assembling virtual choirs, uh, mixing and recording. And of course, my, my training at the Berklee College of Music, which has always been you know, ahead of its time, um, helped with that too. Because while I have other colleagues from traditional conservatories who are struggling with you know their own recording equipments and struggling with using DAWs and struggling with uh, editing their own uh, videos you know I'm I feel like and it, this is the same for for everyone who has gone to Berkeley College of Music that um, that focus on technology has always been there uh it is almost a requirement for for everyone who goes to that school to, to know how to record themselves we all have to get that like berkeley software package or something we all have to have a computer that that is approved by the berkeley it department as students there um so there's always that focus on on learning how to you know have having some sort of um, capability of recording and mixing yourself and having that understanding. Yeah, that is super important with the with the position we find ourselves in today. Yeah, especially right now, for sure. Yeah. I wonder if I could get Berkeley School of Music to sponsor this episode. We've given a great commercial for them today. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It has. A, it, it's very strong in that aspect. I am definitely. Everyone there is. Everyone there knew how to adapt um, when when the lockdown started to happen. Everyone knew how to adapt. That's that's great. So, do you feel that your your upbringing influences the music that you write today? Yes, uh, upbringing. I would say my musical upbringing influences the music that I write today. Um, being in the Philippine Madrigal Singers, touring with them, my exposure to different musical cultures while I was touring with them, singing Filipino choral music, um, those, all of those influence how I write nowadays. Uh, Asian choral music in general is a little bit more rhythmic, a little bit less homophonic than 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 Western choral music nowadays. I mean, we're seeing polyphony more and more reemerge itself. Um, but when you're in a group of Filipinos, which are almost always, and you compare the choral music where you use these onomatopoeic effects to emulate traditional Philippine instruments that are made of bamboo or made of metal or various gongs and sort of translate those syllables and make them a cappella produces a very rhythmic landscape 
with um you know with with just similar to similar to how a gamelan music exists they're very right. rhythmic they're very layered there's lots of rhythmic stratification um and you know in the philippine madrigal singers honestly we rarely sing with instruments uh sometimes when on tour we would like 98% of our concert repertoire is a cappella. We will maybe have one piece with guitar, maybe another piece with cajon or some handheld percussion, but we didn't really carry a keyboard with us during the tours. And so all of these musics, either traditional music or pop music, then have to be arranged for the Philippine madrigal singers. Think of the swingles or the king singers and how they always perform a cappella, and so that's how we performed and that sort of um that sort of musical upbringing still influences how i make music nowadays not only in my composition but in singing and in conducting and in making music with other people yeah i i can hear that a lot in the music that uh, i've listened to that you've written uh, do you feel like you were influenced by any particular composers? Are there any that stand out in your mind that you remember? Yes. Uh, I loved Alan Menken when I was growing up, just like any Disney baby. Um, his work with, you know, Pocahontas was written by Alan Menken, Colors <laughs> of the Wind, the first song I ever sung in my life. But I watched a lot of Disney movies too. And Part of that also is that Leia Salonga, one of the Philippine Broadway actresses, is the voice, the singing voice behind Jasmine and Mulan. Mm. And she has a huge influence among Filipino musicians because she's just a really, really talented, um, inspirational figure. Um, in 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 the music world in the Philippines. She has paved the way for a lot of Filipino artists to succeed outside of the country. Um, then of course, there's Ryan Kayabiab, a rather famous Filipino composer. I listened a lot to his music while growing up and um, he really defined what it meant to be truly cross-genre because he can he can write pop songs that are super effective, but then he also has operas and he has classical choral works, serious choral works. He has he writes for orchestra. He is very genre fluid and very skilled as a musician in in crossing all those barriers. So I was very much influenced by that that style of writing. Yeah, I, I've seen that in your in your catalog. You have a quite a variety of things, of genres as well. Uh, so let's talk about some of your music. Okay. Uh, the, so the first piece I listened to uh, was Brothers of the Sea, and I thought that was a beautiful piece. Okay, we're, Thank you. We're going to listen to just a second of it here. Yeah. 
so tell me, who was that piece written for? So that piece was written for the SYC Ensemble Singers under Jennifer Tam. So SYC stands for Singapore Youth Choir, uh, which is what they started with. They, they started with that name, but then they eventually evolved into the SYC Ensemble Singers. Um, Jennifer Tam is one of the world's best choral pedagogues. She's always, you know, invited to adjudicate in different um, act, different events by the International Federation of Choral Music, um, of course, who's behind the World Youth Choir. Um, and she's very influential as a choral conductor in Asia. Um, the reason why Jennifer commissioned me is because SYC, along with a Filipino choir, the Ateneo Chamber Singers, um, and a Japanese choir, Komatsushita's Japanese choir, they formed sort of an international friendship. And so they, every three years, I believe they hold a festival called Three, meaning those three choirs, where they either gather in Singapore or Japan or Manila to have a concert, a festival of some sorts, um, sort of people from different countries singing together type of thing. Um, and that year, the festival was going to be in Manila. And so Jennifer, being the champion of new music that she, she is, Filipino composer. And that was um, what Brothers of the Sea was written for. And what Brothers of the Sea really, uh, the, 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 the message behind Brothers of the Sea really is unity, peace, and justice. That is what the festival that they created is for because it shows these people from different backgrounds and different countries coming together to sing together. And I think that's just a really beautiful thing. Yeah, so can you, can you talk a little bit more about the text and sort of what the piece is about? So the text is a traditional fisherman song from Samar, which is an area in the Philippines. And at that time, um, Typhoon Yolanda just happened. And that part of the Philippines was very devastated from that. Um, I saw a translation of that text from a book called Earth Prayers. Uh, and I was just, it was, it was curious because I had never seen that text in its original form, in its original um, language, dialect. Uh, but when I saw that, as something with me, something, something just resonated with me because I like water a lot. I like the sea. I love the sea. I grew up in an archipelago with lots of beaches. And so there's just something... There's just something that, that, that touched me when I read the text um, of how it, of how it um, incorporates that water element and that social justice element together. Um, yeah. That's, That's great. Good. I want to, I want to move to uh, the new Colossus. Mm -hmm. I found this piece really fascinating as well. So for this piece, you used the text from Emma Lazarus uh, mm -hmm. that's found on the Statue of Liberty. Uh, for those that don't know this text, 
Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it out there, but just to get it back in your mind, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Very powerful text. Um, you know, usually heard a very lush, very patriotic-sounding setting. You chose a very different direction with the setting of this text, which I, I was really interested in. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I want to play a clip first, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. said you've taken a very different approach to this song uh, to this text what are you trying to communicate so ever since i moved to the u.s there's always been uh some sort of tension involved in being an immigrant here there are certain things that you can and cannot do you have to keep your record super clean otherwise it'll affect any future uh, possibility of you staying in this country. And of course, with the current political atmosphere right now, it has only gotten worse. Um, and so that sort of like tension and anxiety and, and um, restlessness is something that I chose to focus on when I set the new Colossus. Um, my first exposure to this text is when I was working out at a CrossFit gym in downtown LA. It was on 7th and Hill, and there's a mural of the Statue of Liberty there with these words. And not growing up in America, I didn't know that these words were from the Statue of Liberty at that time. Uh, and so I looked at it and I was like, wow, that's a great like immigration text, where is it from? And so I it was like the famous one from the Statue of Liberty. Um, and every day I would pass by that mural and just look at it and read it over and over again. Um, as we know, LA has a big homelessness problem. 
And so I think part of the mural being there is to address that homelessness issue that we have here in Los Angeles. Um, and so from the get-go, when I, when I knew that I was writing a piece for the LA Choral Lab for the Western Division ACDA performance, I wanted to focus on something that um, Angelinos can relate to. Um, and I also want something, I want, also want a piece of text that I discovered while I was living in LA. And so this was, this was the result of that. And of course, you know, I'm also an immigrant here. Um, I'm still working toward, I'm still here on a work visa. I'm working towards a green card. You know, the battle isn't really quite over for me yet. Um, so that tension is, is something that I wanted to focus on from the get-go of sort of that yearning to breathe free, um, all these like panting effects in the middle that sort of create, that sort of paint the, the anxiety and stress that is in, in that, um, in, in the atmosphere of, of currently being an image. I listen to the piece, I can feel that tension that you wrote in there. But I also wanted the piece to be hopeful. So in the middle, mm -hmm. um, I have a, a lush section that, that grows. Um, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That section sort of is lush and gross. And, and then it goes back to that yearning to breathe free sort of anxious texture. I love that yearning to breathe free. Absolutely. So I want to I want to switch gears for a second and talk about your Filipino music. Uh, you uh, you got this uh, great folk song "Leron Leron Cinta" uh, that you set uh, a song. I, I believe on your website you said from the Tagalog region. Yes. Yeah. So what was it about this song that drew you in that made you want to set this? Leron Leron Cinta. It's a very playful children's song that everyone in the Philippines knows. That it's one of those things that you learn as a kid, as, as a folk song. Like you sing it in like preschool. Um, so that song's always been in my, in my, uh, <laughs> at the back of my head. It's one of those things that at the back of your head. Um, I sang a version of it with the Philippine Madrigal Singers while I was there, a different arrangement of it. And I sang an arrangement of it while I was in high school as well with piano. As, in, as a treble choir piece back when I was a, a boy soprano. And so it's something that I knew from a very young age. Um, the reason why I picked it, I really like its, its rhythmic drive as a song. It's very playful. Uh, it was my first year it, it, at Berkeley that time, 2012, 2013, was when I um, arranged this song. And it was first performed by the Philippine Madrigal Singers. It was my first two years out of the group. They went to the U.S. on a tour. Um, they went to Boston as one of their stops. And that's sort of when the arrangement was officially premiered. Um, it eventually got picked up by Earth Songs, um, where it got featured in, in all sorts of reading sessions at different conventions. And now a lot of groups have performed that particular arrangement. Um, my 
my uh, career as a composer in the U.S. sort of started with that arrangement. Um, and it's true for a lot of composers of color, I feel, is that their, their journey always starts with something that's idiomatically tied to uh, their race or their upbringing. Like for a lot of Black composers, for example, the first piece that gets performed by theirs is a, a spiritual, an arrangement of a spiritual or a gospel piece of music, something that's idiomatic. But I suppose at this point in time, it is important to know that uh, a lot of uh, composers of color also compose non-idiomatic music. Like not all of my music is, you know, Philippine folk songs right. or Chinese folk songs. You know, I also compose pieces like Brothers of the Sea and The New Colossus, which are, which are secular social justice type pieces. Um, yeah. So you say it's a, a children's song, um, but obviously you're not writing it for children. So how are you working on that interplay of children's music set for more mature voices? Um, with Leron Leron Sinta, I'm really hearkening to the time when I sang in the Philippine Madrigal Singers. Um, it's a really, really good choir. So it almost, as a resident arranger and composer at, at that time, it almost made you feel like anything is possible under the sun. Um, and Leron Leron Sinta, even if it's a children's folk song, everyone in the Philippines knows it and everyone in the Philippines relates to it. So it's not just a song that children sing, it's a song that everyone knows and everyone sings. Um, because it's so traditional and it's so ingrained in our history. Yeah. And um, you, sorry, go ahead. I, I suppose the playfulness of it is what I, I wanted to focus on, really. Sort of dressing the melody, the rhythmic uh, 
aspect of it, the rhythmic drive of the song is something that I wanted to focus on. Yeah. And speaking of playfulness, I do want to talk about the piece Antren. Am I saying that correct? Yeah. Antren. Uh, it's an amazing onomatopoeic journey on a train ride. So Antren was written for the Andrea Venarachon International Choral Festival. It's a choral festival that's organized by the Philippine Madrigal Singers. Um, that time that I, that I wrote for the competition, there were about 12 choirs competing, um, some from Indonesia, some from the Philippines, some from Thailand. Um, I think there was one choir from Vietnam. Uh, but it was it was commissioned for that, and so I wanted to set a Philippine poet for that. Um, this piece also is non-idiomatic. It's not a Filipino folk song, but rather it's a setting of a poem by a national artist for literature poet, Jose, Jose Corazon de Jesus, um, or or his nickname Huseng Batute. Um, is is someone is a literary he's a literary figure that we all grew up with we all knew who he was but his specific works aren't really as popular as someone like Dr. Jose Rizal our national hero his literature his, his his books everyone's required to read his books but Jose Corazon de Jesus sort of is under the radar a little bit and so I I, I chose him um, and I found a lot of um, potential in, in his text, Angren, and how it painted the atmosphere in the Philippines in the 1930s, um, when the trains, trains were just new at that time. So yeah. I decided to do that, 
um, I was already in LA at that time when I composed that. I believe it was my first year at USC when I did that. And so I really wanted to experiment with a lot of uh, sounds that, that the voice can do. And of course, this onomatopoeic texture harkens back to all those Philippine choral music right. that, that, that I sang like close to like six, seven years before I wrote Ang Tren. Uh, and that really influenced um, my writing style in this and sort of the, the sound world and that exploratory imitation of sound by the voice. Yeah, I, I was thinking of that when you were talking about it earlier. I'm like, that that seems to be directly influencing uh, pieces that you're writing now. Speaking of now, what what are you working on now? Is there anything you're working on that you're comfortable talking about? A couple of big pieces for this year. Uh, for I wrote a piece for the Windy City performing arts center the windy city gay choir that it was supposed to be premiered at the gay and lesbian association of choruses convention this year but then you know covid happened right. so maybe it will be performed next year we still don't know um that was a piece called verum corpus uh it's a piece on on the trans experience that i co-wrote with poet amir rabia um, what else did I finish? I just finished a companion piece to the new Colossus. Um, it's another immigration piece. I'm sort of in the middle of finishing a set of pieces on immigration called Songs of Welcome. So Welcome Table takes the gospel spiritual, I'm going to sit at the welcome table one of these days, um, and shifts its focus on, on immigrants, like as immigrants, when can we ever be welcome in this table that is America? Like, does it stop when we become U.S. citizens? Does it stop when, when we get our green cards? Like, as we can see, there's a lot of birthism theory even surrounding right. our, our VP nominee nowadays. So, like, when will we ever be welcome here? Do we have to be, do we have to be white? and have generations of families that are slave owners to be really welcome here, to be considered American. Um, where is the line? You know, I, I, I think that's what Welcome Table really is about. Um, and then I have a couple of, of commissions for next year that I don't think I can quite disclose yet, but it's for a couple of uh, choirs here in LA. Um, apart from that, I'm still working as the director of music at the Unitarian Universalist Community Church of Santa Monica. Um, and I'm also working as a teaching artist for the Los Angeles Massive Chorale, where I am the composing teaching artist for their oratorio project. Um, it is a program that where, where uh, a team of three teaching artists work with high school students to write their oratorio, to write a full 45-minute oratorio. And um, this is my mm -hmm. third year of doing that. That sounds amazing. So if people want to know more about you or listen to more of your music, where can they go? Where are you found online? 
you can go to my website, sonderchoy.com. Um, I have my choral works there. I also do a lot of arrangements. I do custom arrangements for choirs, if that's something that you're interested in doing. Um, I've done that for several gay choruses in the country. Um, I also do orchestration work. So I've, I've actually orchestrated and arranged music for the Singapore Symphony. Um, I, I've done some work for Leia Salonga. Um, I've, I've done recently a bunch of charts for the Portuguese Philharmonic Orchestra. Again, so a, a concert that is uh, delayed because of COVID. Um, so that's something that I also do and all of, that, all of those uh, information is on my website. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sander, for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to get to know you and to talk to you. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed this conversation as well. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. My guest today was composer Sander Choi. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. If you would like to continue this conversation, join us on our Facebook group, Movable Doe Listeners. If you have show or guest suggestions, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.